Iconic wrestling coach Dan Gable once said, Pain is nothing compared to what it feels like to quit. Give everything you've got today, for tomorrow may never come. Gable could be describing those whose achievements have earned them the honor of being inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. Etched in Stone, the stories of wrestling's legends will take you inside the lives of over 200 of the greatest wrestlers in history as they share their never-before-told stories about their trials, tribulations, and triumphs. Competitors, coaches, teammates, and those who knew these athletes best will also weigh in on their accomplishments with their own unique perspectives. Welcome to the show, folks. You're listening to The Smiths on the Etched in Stone series. My name is Ryan Warner. I'll be your host. So let's get started. Last time we spoke, John Smith won an Olympic gold medal at the 1988 Summer Games. By doing so, he inspired a generation of wrestlers across the country. Kids could be seen practicing the low single in their backyard. But the biggest impact was made on John's younger brother, Pat. He was just a junior in high school when his brother won the gold. It was just very exciting to see him do that. I was very, you know, obviously just proud and and happy that he achieved his goals. John's win also brought closure to the family. If you remember back, the oldest brother, Leroy, was unjustly removed from the Olympic team just four years prior. I think it healed a lot of us in our family. Um... You know, mom and dad and brothers and sisters. I think it all, you know, healed us a little bit. We had we had some scars from '84 with Leroy, and those scars were deep. And um, you know, I don't want to get too much into that, but it, it was just for, for him to win the Olympics. I think it I think it healed a little bit of our scars up. The scars may have been healed. But the anger that the family felt towards Iowa and Dan Gable was still there. I just knew that I did not, did not want to get beat by an Iowa guy, nor was I ever going to get beat by an Iowa guy. That was in my head. And um, I am not going to let one of those guys ever in my career beat me. Lofty goals for a high schooler. Could Pat keep his promise to himself? Let's find out. John Smith. John Smith. John Smith. Probably the greatest wrestler we've ever had in the United States. He took him down. I see a bundle of intensity. I find a way to win. It seems incredible that a family can do that well. Three NCAA champions, the only family to ever do that. It just seems one brother after the other tries to outdo the one before him. A big win for young Pat Smith. Pat Smith, the number one seed and defending champ from Oklahoma State. It was, you know, a wrestling life. You're listening to The Smiths, Episode 4. I'm your host, Ryan Warner. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get started. Now, at the onset of this series, we announced that there were two stars, John and Pat Smith. And in this episode, we'll chronicle Pat's rise through high school and the shark-infested waters of NCAA wrestling. Now, I first met Pat this past September. We met at his wrestling academy just outside Little Rock, Arkansas. Cool. So we'll go about 90 minutes or so, 60, 90 minutes. Okay. Um, let's do this. All right. So go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners. Who are we hearing from today? Pat Smith. Pat Smith. Now today, he stands about 5'10", 
weighing a trim 170, a little bit bigger than John, but not by much. And let me tell you folks, he's one of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. But if you ask any of his competitors, on the mat, he was vicious. Now just by virtue of being in this podcast, we know that Pat got good at wrestling. But he wasn't always good. And you'd be surprised at the sheer number of obstacles he had to navigate to find his place in the world. So let's take a step back and go back in time to Pat's childhood, the 70s. And I want to say this to the television audience, because people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. When Pat was just a kid, his oldest brother Leroy was a star wrestler for Oklahoma State. Pat and his dad never missed a duel. I remember watching, it was packed in Gallagher Hall at the time, it was called Gallagher Hall. The arena was packed, the atmosphere was just insane uh, during those times. And I watched Leroy um, just go out and wrestle the match, and I remember sitting nearly on the uh, on the edge of the mat, and uh, just in all of the whole atmosphere and what was going on, and, and Leroy won. But I tell you what, what really um, you know got me was after the after the duel was over, all the fans that came down on the floor that lined up to get Leroy's autograph, and the kids. And everybody, and I, that was the first time I, you know, that I saw him at a, at a different uh, aspect. You know, I just, I, I saw him, you know, like this guy is a hero. You know, these people are lined up getting his autographs. And um, so I decided I was going to stand in line and get an autograph from him. So I stood in this long line and I got to him. And when I got to him, I stuck my piece of paper out and my pencil. And he looked at me and he goes, I'm your brother. <laughs> He goes, you want my autograph? And uh, I said, yes, I want your autograph. So he, he gave me his autograph. And it just made such an impact on me. And I knew right then and there, is that's what I want to do. I want to do what he's doing. After that duel, Pat became all consumed with wrestling. Growing up, all I ever wanted to do was wrestle for Oklahoma State and wear the orange singlet. And kids, kids are always, you know, setting their goals through high school and they want to be a national champion they want to be an olympic champion on all this and that and never one time ever did i ever think of that never one time my goal was always to wrestle for oklahoma state and wear an orange singlet boom first and foremost he wanted to do what his brothers were doing and we were wrestling so he took right to it that's leroy smith pat's oldest brother But what was so unusual about him, even at a very young age, was his desire to work and do whatever it took to, uh, you know, achieve success. Even though Pat was five years younger than John and nearly a decade younger than Leroy, he joined in on the workouts. Okay, Pat, we're lifting today or we're going for a run or, you know, and he'd come with a big smile on his face and he'd be, you know, going to whatever uh, whatever workout you had and then more and trying to do it as hard, as hard as he could and through failure, which is very difficult, he, he just had an incredible desire 
uh, from the get-go. By the time Pat was a freshman at Dell City High School, he was more than ready to make a name for himself on the Oklahoma circuit. He took fourth as a freshman, and as a sophomore, he won the Oklahoma High School State Tournament. Then he traveled to the Junior Nationals to test his skills against the best wrestlers in the country. You see, the Junior Nationals is the largest wrestling tournament in the world. Across 10 days at the end of July, the top wrestlers from each state compete to see who's the nation's best. I got there and I went, I ended up going, I believe, one and two. One and two is not good. It means that Pat didn't place and was out of the tournament after the first day. And it was really disappointing. You know, I just, I had a bad tournament. I walked up and up into the tunnel, up in the uh, um, Unidome, in the hallway. I found a little corner and I bawled my eyes out. I was sitting there, I had my head between my legs, crying my eyes out, and my dad found me about an hour later, which he's going to find you. And he comes up to me, he kneels down in front of me, and he picks my face up, and he said, looked at me and he said, let me tell you something. One day, that guy is going to say he beat Pat Smith. And he said, you know that. And know that, because that's going... That's going to happen. And he got up and he walked off. And at that moment, at that moment, right there in that moment, because my dad said that, because I, I, you know, whatever my dad said, I mean, it, it was it was everything. You know, I, whatever he said it was going to happen. That's the way I looked at my father. Um, that's how much I admired him. And at that moment right there, I knew that I was going to be a champion. I knew that I was going to do something special in this, in this sport. I knew that I was going to be a great wrestler. Chills, folks, every time I hear that story. Now, after the Junior Nationals, Pat returned to Dell City, but during Christmas of his junior year, he received a gift from his older brother, John, that he would never forget. Over Christmas break, every time the brothers would come home from Stillwater, Um, we worked out at Dell City High School. And John and I were working out. I remember this like it was yesterday. Literally, like it was yesterday. It was such, it made such an impact on my career that it's just something that just is so vivid. I remember John telling me, he said, I want you to try to stop my shot. And I said, okay. Yeah, I did that quite often. I wanted people to try to avoid me getting to a leg. I wanted to be able to get to a leg whenever I wanted. I mean, that's that was my train of thought. Well, he hit a low single leg on me. And first thing I'm thinking of, as soon as he shoots, is what in the world just happened? Nobody's ever shot down to my ankles like this. And he's like, let me show you. So we worked on that low single leg in the wrestling room. We just, we just pounded it out for about two days. And that became my style. Once I started wrestling that style, it it just changed me. If the Soviets couldn't stop the low single, what do you think Oklahoma high school wrestlers were going to do? Nothing. And Pat began to dominate. He won his second straight Oklahoma high school state title and returned to the junior nationals with a vengeance. Not only did I become, you know, just a good wrestler and not just winning, but dominating. And, and being able to tech fall, you know, 10 straight guys. Um, and, and I took it to another level there. 
Tech falling 10 straight guys at the Junior Nationals? That's right, folks. Pat obviously won the Junior Nationals that year, and he'd been one more before signing with Oklahoma State. He was ready to begin his career as a Cowboy. When Pat arrived in Stillwater, the Cowboys were the defending national champions. Josie had turned the program around, and the room was low-dead. There was a lot of talent in that room, and and uh, they were very offensive. That was Leroy again. Here's Bruce Burnett. He was the assistant coach at Oklahoma State when Pat arrived. First off, we had a really good room. Uh, I mean, if you wanted to be put in your place, there was somebody in the room that could put you in your place. And if there wasn't, there were two guys waiting to put you in your place, you know. Pat's workout partners consisted of Kenny Monday, a 1988 Olympic gold medalist, Michael Sheets, two-time NCAA champion, and Chris Barnes, another two-time NCAA champion. And so Pat had those, he had those opportunities in those days and he could challenge himself uh, at any given time on any given day. It was just an environment that only comes around very seldom. I mean, maybe very seldom. That, that an environment like that, where you have guys in the room like that, that are just all around you, world champions, Olympic champions, NCAA champions. Working out with those animals is a tall order for a young freshman. Could Pat handle it? When I first got when I first got to OSU and we we, we first started training, that was in the in October, middle of October. From October to about middle of November, training in the wrestling room, I was getting just pounded. Okay, trying to find because I had never wrestled guys at this level. I never. I never knew how I, you know, I never knew how to suck a leg in and fight it for a minute, if not longer, and dig it out and win. Okay, you have to develop that. Well, I, I didn't develop that in high school. I was teching people, so I had to learn that. And um, I called my dad up um, in in November. I called my dad up on the phone and I said, "Dad, I got a problem." He said, "Well, what is it?" And I told him, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not cut out for this level. I said, I need, I need to transfer. I need to go somewhere else. Uh, I'm not, I'm not cut out for Oklahoma State. And he said, um, Well, I'll tell you what. You're going to finish the season. You're going to finish the year at Oklahoma State. And in May, after school's out, we'll, we'll assess the situation. And if you, feel st- if you still feel that way, then we'll look somewhere else. Pat listened to his pops and stayed in Stillwater. But even still, he wasn't expected to start. And his mentor, Bob Dellinger, reminded Pat of this daily. He used to tell him, was, was always telling me when I'd walk in his office and sit down, he says, well, you need to redshirt. You know that. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's a little too early to say I need a redshirt. I mean, you're basically saying I can't make the team. That's the way I'm thinking in my head. So that kind of started fueling the fire with me because I was like, hmm, um, not only am I not going to redshirt, I'm going to go make the team. As the 1990 season got started, Pat was on the bench. But by Christmas, 
it was clear that he was the best guy on the team at his weight. They decided to pull me out of red shirt at, during Christmas break. And that's when I went up to Portland. And that's where it all started. Decked out in his new Oklahoma State warm-ups, Pat boarded the plane with the rest of the team and headed to Portland, Oregon for his first dual meet as a starter. During the Cowboys' West Coast road trip, they'd wrestle Portland State on a Thursday night and then wrestle in the Portland State Open two days later. Pat's opponent was a junior and a defending Division II national champion. Okay, can you introduce yourself, please? Uh, Dan Russell. I'm uh, from the Northwest, born in Idaho, and uh, but spent most of my life in the great state of Oregon. Dan Russell was a formidable opponent and was more than happy to welcome a young Pat Smith to collegiate wrestling. But, you know, my thinking at the time, I'm in my junior year, I'm older, I'm stronger. It's his first match. The Portland State fans packed the gym that night, folks. You had Oklahoma State in town, one of the great dynasties in all of wrestling. Plus, John Smith was going to be there. See, he was still wrestling a full international schedule, but he was also an assistant coach at Oklahoma State keeping a close eye on his brother, Pat. John Smith was a superstar. He was a superstar that night. John, John was, uh, you know, obviously sitting in the corner as the coach. But yeah, he, he uh, um, American hero. After the Portland State fans gave John Smith a hero's welcome, it was time for Pat's first match as an Oklahoma State starter. So I get out there, I get the orange singlet on for the first time, and I get out there against Dan Russell. Wrestling him pretty good. First period, second period rolls around, and all of a sudden I start whatever, hyperventilating, (laughs) fatigue, everything, mental breakdown, exhausted, probably pumped myself up too much. I remember getting that arm bar, I'd taken him down at John's in the corner, and he said, you know, build a base, build a base. I got him on his belly, and I'm waiting for him to build a base so I get to hit that hook, and and then took him to his back, and and he cradled me and pinned me. And that was Pat's first first introduction to NCAA wrestling. The Portland State fans went ballistic as Pat laid there on his back. John, the greatest wrestler in the world at the time, sat speechless in the coach's chair. And I was so mad at him, the way he wrestled. It's the way he got pinned. It's like he got beat up and then he got pinned. Now back to Pat. I get up, off, get up off the mat, dust myself off, and, and I head out, out the door. Okay, so there was classrooms in the hallway. So I go find a classroom. I sit down. The duel's already over. Team's showering up. Joe C's trying to find me. He's the head wrestling coach. He's trying to find me. I'm sitting in a corner and I'm crying again, and. Josie walks up to me, and he said, Patrick. And I looked up, and he said, it was the worst mistake I ever made pulling you out of red shirt. Because we already sent Jeff McAllister to Fresno State, and he's ranked fourth or fifth in the country right now. And he's gone. So it's not like we could throw him back in. And he said, it's the worst mistake I ever made in my coaching career. And he walked out. And I'm telling you, I felt like my 
the blood in my body was flowing so hard, I felt like my head was going to pop off. I was so angry and mad and just like, you sorry sucker. As Coach C walked out, John walked in. As I, I remember pulling him over the side and I'm screaming and yelling, why are you, you know, Joe C pulls you out of red shirt and you're pulling this. I was probably way too hard on him. Actually, I know I was. Um, I mean, I was, I was devastated. You know, it, you know, it's like, who are you? You know, I mean, um, I guess what I want to say is, is this. At that moment in time in Pat's career, I said probably things that should have never been said to a student athlete. And, and, and in that moment, when, when, when a coach talks to a kid that way, I think you got to know them. There's kids that would have broke them. It would have just, it would have completely broke them. They would have never been the same. I wasn't that kind of kid. When you do that to me, okay, you're just putting fuel in the fire, buddy. You're, 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 you're going, you're, you're going to get more out of me now. You talk to me like that, you're going to get a lot more out of me. And that's the way I was. Back to John. And he takes what I said, doesn't complain. You know, doesn't doesn't resent me for what I said and, and what I did, and he just that tough. Like you're right. <laughs> you know, he's just like you're right. Two days later, Pat and Dan Russell had a rematch at the Portland State Open. Here's Pat's side of it. Next match, I wrestled. Next day, wrestled. Uh, in the Portland State tournament, and I wrestled Russell in the in the finals, and he beat me eight to six. Back to Dan. Um, nobody expected it to be as close as it was, really. Pat was now two and two to start his college career. He flew back to Stillwater and refocused his goals. He had three months until the 1990 NCAA championships. As soon as he got back in the room, he began training with Chris Barnes the two-time defending champ. And I would work out with him every day. And he just pounded me. I don't think for the first two months I even got a takedown on him. So my whole thought my whole thought was when I was working out with him day in and day out, I always stayed positive because in my mind I told myself every time I go with Chris, if I get one takedown, if I can take Chris Barnes down, I'll take anybody down at 158. It took a while before that happened, <laughs> about two months. But finally, I was getting takedowns on Chris. And I was taking him down. And he was punching the mat, you know, where I was saying, ooh, okay, he's mad. This He's not giving it. He's pissed. Now, could I go with him? No, I couldn't go with him. But at the same time, I, at the end of the season, I'm getting three, four, five takedowns in a practice. As Pat continued to spar with Chris Barnes, his confidence grew. And though he'd lose three more times that freshman year, by the end of the season, he was on fire. He won the Big Eights as a true freshman and qualified for the 1990 NCAA Championships. And then my confidence really, really soared when the week they came out with rankings for the NCAA tournament, the seeds. Um, they, they seated me number one. And that's when, that's when I knew that I'm going to win it. 
on March 22, 1990, in front of thousands of fans at the University of Maryland, Pat stepped on the mat for his first ever match at the Big Dance. I truly believe in, at all my levels, that I, and I, and I still believe this to this day, is that my freshman year in the NCAA tournament, I was probably the best wrestler I ever was in my career. And when I wrestled in the NCAA tournament my freshman year, I was dominant. Pat opened the tournament with a major decision, a pin, and another major decision as he cruised into the semifinals where Dan Russell awaited. The same Dan Russell who handed Pat two losses back in January. I think by the time we got to the NCAAs, uh, Pat was extremely well coached in, in the, his strategy. The score that our match that we had in, at the NCAAs was, uh, it, it was not a great score on my end, but the score did not reflect uh, how bad he beat me in that match. You know, I wrestled Dan Russell in the semis and beat him 17 to four. Uh, he wrestled just a really uh, excellent match. It was uh, um, not a good time to face Pat Smith and have him have a well-executed match. After Pat's big win in the semis, he went on to beat Navy wrestler Scott Schleicher in the finals 11-7. to His dad, Big Lee, was in the crowd and ran to a payphone to call home to Mrs. Smith. I was at work. I didn't go to the Nationals because I just didn't want to go. Plus, I had kids at home, too. I had mm -hmm. to stay home. Um, but I was at work that day when Leroy Collin told me that Pat won the Nationals, and this was when he was a freshman. By virtue of Pat's win, he became the ninth true freshman to win an NCAA title. To put it into context, more people had walked on the moon than had won titles as true freshmen. And the icing on the cake was that the Smith family became the first to have three brothers to win NCAA titles. Leroy in 1980, John in 87 and 88, and now Pat in 1990. And Pat now had a chance to become the first wrestler to win four NCAA titles. Since 1928, the feat had never been accomplished. Even the great Dan Gable only won two titles. Now no one in the 81-year history of the NCAA has won four individual championships in any sport. Holy cow, this guy could be the first four-time national champion because you've got to win the first one. That's Bruce Burnett again, Pat's coach. He was at the Nationals that year and watched Pat step onto the podium, grab his first place trophy, step off, only to have the weight of the world fall on his shoulders. Everyone would now expect him to be the first four-time national champion. Well, you're taking a, you're taking an 18-year-old kid who's a f true freshman, who's just glad to be here, okay, and wrestling, all right, and it's just excited about wearing the orange singlet, okay, and he's just free spirit, go cut loose and, and have fun. Well, that's the way I was. Well, once you win and you have to defend, then it gets tougher. That's when it gets tougher, okay? Now there's a bullseye on you, and everybody's coming after you. And now everybody expects you to repeat. Now before we get to Pat's second NCAA tournament, 
to see if he could defend that title, which we will cover in this episode. Oklahoma State was thrown into an NCAA investigation for recruiting violations. An investigation that would change the history of Oklahoma State wrestling and the history of John and Pat Smith. Here's what happened. In the summer after Pat's freshman year, NCAA investigators arrived in Stillwater, Oklahoma, ready to question the wrestlers and the coaches over alleged recruiting violations. Now, these violations, they weren't massive, right? We're not talking about Oklahoma State giving recruits $50,000 briefcases like you had with SMU football. They were minor, like coaches giving wrestlers $20 to compete in an open tournament. And it was all over petty stuff. You know, people people think that, you know, people think that there was money under the table. I used to hear all kinds of stuff. There was, there was this and that, and you know, um, but it was just really petty stuff. And what really took us down was was the lying. Lying to the NCAA is a serious charge. But the crazy thing is that the wrestlers were told to lie by their head coach. Here's the backstory. After the investigator's first trip to Stillwater, head coach Josie knew that he was guilty of minor infractions. Rather than own up, he called a secret meeting at his house. Standing in his living room in front of the entire Oklahoma State team, he gave them an order that would change his life forever. Alan Freed was in that living room. You know, Joe told us to get our story straight. Don't even let him see the... Don't let him know we paid for gas or a room. And that's literally all it was. I mean, like, we're talking... Probably get your story straight. It's almost unbelievable to hear that a head coach would tell his team to lie to NCAA investigators. Here's attorney Willie Baker, who was in episode one and was based in Stillwater, Oklahoma at the time of this investigation. I think Joe always thought that... Everything, I mean, probably everything will be okay, no matter what, no matter what, it, whether it's an NCAA investigation or, or just whatever it might be. This is kind of his attitude, just a, you know, we can we can take care of this problem, um, and it unfortunately just that that when he gave that advice to get your story straight, uh, everybody be on the same page. I mean, it it, it caused a, you know severe problems for us. It's kind of one of those things that happens in, in NCAA investigations, the, what you do after the crime may be worse if you don't do it right than the crime itself. Like Watergate, the cover-up became worse than the crime. And as the meeting adjourned in Joe's living room, the wrestlers left his house and went back into the firing squad, ready to lie to the NCAA investigators. Yeah, and, and I was one of them. And, and we we all were we were all in on it and um, it was just it was a black eye during that time. As the investigation continued, the NCAA started to sense that something wasn't quite right, that the wrestlers were hiding something. So they pressed harder, and they held the wrestlers in these interrogation rooms for hours on end. It was interrogating. They 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 brought the wrestlers in. We, they were talking to us once a week. Um, they would leave for three or four weeks at a time and then we thought it was over and here they are they're coming back and our kids were walking out of there looking like zombies that's jim shields 
He was an assistant coach at Oklahoma State during the investigation. I'd see some of these guys walking up, just had that thousand-yard stare, like he just got out of Vietnam or something. It was just, they were zombies. I think it was so distracting for those kids. It was very distracting. Um, You know, they were in there every week. For most of Pat's sophomore season, the investigators would pop in, interrogate the wrestlers, leave, and then come back again. And to make matters worse, Pat's grades slipped, and he was academically ineligible during the first half of the season. You talk about pressure. You know, that, that was a year that there was some serious pressure on him. That's Mark Smith, the youngest Smith brother. We'll come back to him in episode 7, but for now, just know that he was one of the few people who Pat confided in. And it was tough. Like, there for a while, it was kind of things were up in the air on whether he was going to get to wrestle, I think, at one point. Now, he just had a lot of things outside of wrestling, you know, which we all know that have wrestled before. Uh, Those outside things will eat you up, you know? So during Pat's sophomore year, he was dealing with the investigation while trying to win a second national title. Let's see if he could do it as he traveled to the 1991 NCAA Championships. Welcome back to the campus of the University of Iowa and the 1991 NCAA Wrestling Championships. You heard it right. Iowa City, Iowa, the home of Dan Gable, the home of the Hawkeyes. That's where the Nationals took place when Pat was a sophomore. And as fate would have it, he wrestled an Iowa guy in the finals. Junior Big Ten champion Tom Ryan in the 158. And when you're wrestling an Iowa guy at Carver Hawkeye in the NCAA finals, 90% of the arena wants you to lose. You know, you, you go into Hawkeye Arena and you're wrestling the NCAA tournament, which it all should be kind of neutral. And, um, you know, whatever it seats, I don't know, 13,000 or so. Well, I promise you there's 11,000 Hawkeye fans. And the rest are just fans from all over, everywhere else. And uh, so it was basically wrestling a guy on his home turf with his, with his fans. And he's got the home court advantage, basically. And uh, so that, that, that was intense as well. Now squaring off against Pat that night was Iowa wrestler Tom Ryan. Today, Tom Ryan's the head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes. But back in 91... He was a fierce competitor. Tom was ready, and he was a man on his on a, on a mission. And when you get somebody like that, you're in a battle, and that's what it's all about. As Pat and Tom Ryan stepped onto the mat, Gable was in one corner, John Smith was in the other. But that match was the most powerful match. That's Dan Gable. The hardest I ever coached in a match was this match in my career. Why do you say that? because I was working every second in the corner as a coach. So Pat Smith squared off in quest of his second consecutive NCAA championship against Iowa junior Tom Ryan, the number two seed. As the match started, Tom Ryan struck first, sending Carver Hawkeye into pandemonium. And you can hear this crowd encouraging Ryan as he tries to spin behind Smith. He's gone close to the edge, and that'll count. (laughs) The crowd was calling for the two points. But then Pat fired back, scoring his own takedown to tie the match 3-3. I wrestled a lot of guys where I felt like, I'm going to win, and you know I'm going to win. 
And I, that was not the case with Tom Ryan. I'm going to win, and I know you feel like you're going to win because I can feel it out here. By the third period, Tom Ryan held a one-point lead with 13,000 Iowa Hawkeye fans going ballistic. Owen Smith with a beautiful shot right there. He's got his ankle, and Ryan counters very, very nicely. After the wrestlers scrambled out of bounds, Pat walked back to the center of the mat with just 40 seconds left. When, when I was coming back to that middle, I, I knew I was going to win. I was going to find a way to win. All I need is one takedown, and I thought to myself, Pat Smith, you can get one takedown. What is Joe C. telling Pat Smith? Stay low, stay focused, and once again, you go back to your basics, your bread and butter, and that is that Smith low single. You always want to have an option, but when it gets down to crunch time, you want to go back to what works best for you, and Smith is in on that low single. He's got Ryan down. That should be a takedown right there. That should put him up 7-6. to six. And Ryan now must get away or he will lose this match. But I tell you, the hard part was is riding him out for the next 20, 25 seconds. I mean, you're talking about a bulldog underneath you that's strong. I mean, that, that is one strong man. And it's over. Pat Smith continues his ride toward wrestling history. Father Leroy looking on. Pat ended a harrowing sophomore year with a second consecutive NCAA title. Tom Ryan was crushed, as was Dan Gable. They walked out of the arena together. Usually you have to help your, 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 uh, your student athlete because he's pretty tired. He was, he was tired, but he was still t- determined and mad. <laughs> and, and, but I was, ha- every step, I had to talk myself out of falling down the hallway of Carver. As Gable shuffled into the tunnel, Pat Smith celebrated. He was now two NCAA titles away from history. But a month after the Nationals, his world was thrown upside down as head coach Joe C. admitted to lying to NCAA investigators and was suspended. A move that would bring John out of wrestling and into coaching full-time. That's it for episode four, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, if you want to help us spread the word, please rate the episode and share it with your friends. The Smiths was written and directed by Ryan Warner. Executive producers include USA Wrestling and the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. A special thank you to the entire Smith family, Rich Bender and Leroy Smith. Etched in Stone is an exclusive production of the National Wrestling Hall of Fame and USA Wrestling. Download your free souvenir book of any of the Etched in Stone stories produced at nwhof.org. The storybook includes the written story and is filled with pictures and videos of their live matches. And while you're on the website, take a deeper dive into the profiles of the 179 distinguished members inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame.